it's a little bit of that fake it till you make it. For me, when I feel like that, I often think, well, there are probably other people are nervous here too. They may not be that confident, but they're showing me their best face. Mm -hmm. So if I do the same, I'm going to be all right. Are you ready to master your mindset and your business? Join thousands of women each week who use this podcast as a tool to create financial and emotional wealth. And when you're ready to scale to the next level, visit theunstoppablewoman.com slash go. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unstoppable Woman podcast. I'm Amira Alvarez. I am the founder and CEO of the Unstoppable Woman and your host here on the podcast. And today, I'm super excited to bring to you an amazing creative. Her name is Renee McDonald, and she is the founder of a luxury women's wear brand, Lizu. And... Um, they are all about color and print and joyous clothes. And she brings a mixture of influences from her background in Tanzania and living in one of the capitals of the world, London. So it's a great pleasure to have you on the podcast, Renee. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat to you. I, in the last few years, have evolved who I've been being in this world. And I have found myself attracted to, let me say it differently. I've always been attracted to fashion, <laughs> but I am more recently stepping into a little bit of a fashionista embodiment. And that feels very new. And that feels new and different to me, even though it's been years that this has been evolving. And I work with a stylist and she's fabulous and all that. And I get dressed up for events and yada, yada, yada. My self-image is still, well, not entirely, but I was someone who grew up wanting the pretty clothes, but not having the finances or yeah. the family culture that made it a priority and always feeling like I, I couldn't create that. So I'm really super excited to hear about what your journey with that was. Have you always been someone who wears the luxury clothes and has been tapped into that world? I would say like you, in my younger years, obviously I didn't have the budget to buy, you know, luxury products, but I've always really, really been into color and print and boldness. But I think that's sort of beginning to change now an awful lot because I think there's, there's so much conversation at the moment around sustainability, which means that people are really beginning to understand that you buy investment pieces, mm. you know? And I think that's the main thing about buying from a more luxury brand is you're buying really good quality, which explains the price point, mm -hmm. but rather than quantity, buy quality, because you will have that piece for a very long time. And then when you think about price, you can think about cost per wear. How often are you gonna wear this piece? How many different things is it gonna go with? Oh, I love this conversation. So now let's talk about the colors and the prints and all of that that you're bringing to the table because I have a, a very personal example of this decision point in my head. So two days ago, three days ago, I went shopping with my stylist. We never do it in person. She always has things sent to me, but we we were in the same place at the same time. And it was fun because I could we, we we had this energy together. And I tried on this marigold yellow blazer, a jacket. 
and it was stunning and gorgeous. And although I do wear colors, you can see that I'm wearing a color right now. I know that makes me so happy. Thank you. I did that intentionally, even though I, I, in fact, this is a little tangent, you know, I still have a good 25% of my wardrobe, 30% of my wardrobe that is black. Okay. I can't fully get rid of that, 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 (laughs) It, you know, uh, calling that drive. There's something elegant about black. But every day I'm very intentional about like, what do I feel like wearing today? And and I've been buying more color and more prints over the last five or six years. But I then, you know, that was a $2,000 investment piece. And I thought, am I going to continue wanting to wear marigold yellow as a blazer regularly? Like, is this yeah. a passing phase? Am I going to want, like, it's it's hard not to remember a bright yellow jacket, yeah. okay? But it's so, joyous for people to see. It sure is, right? Right? So how do you map that sustainability piece where, you know, you have something that's fashionable for right now, right? Yeah. There, there, there's a look to your, the cut of your skirt, the, the, the cut of the jacket there's there's something on the edge of fashion new that you're bringing to the table not to mention the prints do you ever get weary of wearing the same print over and over again right like how does that fit into sustainability well i think it's about breaks so your cost per wear does not have to be all at once like you don't have to go oh my god i'm going to wear this 50 times this year because that would just be extreme So the best example I can give you is that probably about 20 years ago, it might even be 25 years ago, I was bought a Prada coat as a gift. Mm. Gorgeous, lovely. I still have it to this day. And what happens is I wore it a lot at the beginning. Then I went through a phase where I was like, yeah, I'm not really feeling the coat. But every now and again, because fashion is cyclical, it comes back out again. And I suddenly remember it and I go, oh my God, I'm going to wear that coat. I have that coat already. Yeah. So the cost for wear can be, you know, if you think about, I don't know, it costing, say, I don't know, in those days it was probably cheaper. Maybe it was like a thousand or one and a half thousand pounds or dollars. Then, you know, if I've kept it for 20 years, that is great cost for wear. Yeah, for sure. So my experience with this is that I used to, before I had my big breakthrough in finances and, you know, my story is one of going from, you know, building my business and just making over six figures to crossing the seven figure mark. And, you know, I'm come with a lot of work and and diligence and a lot of joy. All of that to say that I've all, I haven't always been able to afford luxury brands. And I used to shop at Target. I don't know. Do you have Target in the UK? We don't, but I know what Target is okay. because my son lives in New York, so I know all about uh, all about Target. <laughs> and Target does these knockoffs of of styles that are out there, and they look. I'm like, oh, that's cute. How, how did Target figure out that style? And you wear it once, and by the second wearing, it's completely out of shape. The yeah. threads are are well, maybe the third wearing, but like the washing of it just makes it unusable. Yeah, it falls apart falls apart. And so, you know, it's been a few years, so maybe they've up, up-leveled their their game. But but there are I, loads of others like out there. There are lots and lots of, you know, I'm not saying Target is necessarily fast fashion, but other fast fashion brands mm-hmm. that just bring out whatever is the latest thing. I mean, we've got lots of stores here that do the same thing. But longevity is not 
in their intention. It's yeah. just very much like, this is in now, I'm going to wear this now. And when you look, you know, I don't know what it's like in the US, but certainly in the UK, the statistic I think that is that people throw away two in five items that they buy from fast fashion without ever having worn them, like literally wow. with labels on them. Wow. Now, if you have bought an investment piece and you've saved your money and you've bought something that's really special to you, you're absolutely not going to just chuck it in the bin. And it makes you pause, right? I was joking with the the women in my my coaching program on an office hours the other day. I forget what the context was, but I remember the joke. The joke yeah. was like, like, don't don't buy that piece where you're trying to make it work. Like you're like, if I look at myself from this angle and I tuck it in yes. like this and I pull <laughs> it down, it'll work. And when you're buying an investment piece, you're just like, no. I, you this should doesn't love work. it. Yeah, you, you have to love it. It has to fit you perfectly. It. Yes. Yeah. And I think if you're listening and you're like, oh, investment piece, one of the things that I learned over the years that it is that it can't not fit. Okay. But if yeah, it doesn't no, no, no. fit you perfectly, there's tailoring and everyone has to tailor. And I had no idea. I had no idea. I always thought poor self image, you know, poor body image, like, oh, it's me that <laughs> yeah. doesn't fit where it's really like the clothes that need altering to fit you perfectly. I mean, I, for instance, would say I'm somebody with a small waist and I'm big around the hips and bum and I'm kind of a more busty. So I generally, in order to get something past my hips, it means the waist is going to be too big. So I'm so used to tailoring things. And again, if it is an investment piece, you want it to be absolutely perfect. The issue, I think, for a lot of designers, I mean, at least, you know, I find is that women are all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Like within our team here, there are two of us who are the same size. And, you know, it's me and my colleague. She is five foot three. I'm five foot eight. And we wear the same size, but you would never guess it if you put us next to each other. Because we haven't told, you know, our proportions are completely different. Yeah. So inevitably, this will happen. Whereas men get sort of sleeve length, collar. They don't you know, have hips. Leg. <laughs> yeah, but they also get a lot more measurements. Uh-huh. So, you know, you're either getting that thing where, say, someone is six foot tall and they're like, the trousers aren't long enough for me, or someone is five foot three and they're like, the trousers are too long for me. You're never going to be able to make every single person happy. If it's long, you can always make something shorter or smaller. You can't make something small bigger. So if it doesn't fit you, let go of it, run. (laughs) Totally, totally. So I want to go to something that you wrote is written on your website, which is that you're self-confessed bold dresser. Has that always been the case? I think it's evolved more as I've I mean, in one way, it's always been the case. Sorry, I'm answering this question the wrong way around. In one way, it has always been the case because I am of African origin. I'm from Tanzania in East Africa. And anybody who has visited the continent will know that it is just color, color, color. We clash our colors. We clash our prints. For us, color is just joy. But I think also the other thing that happens is as you get older, you become more confident and you begin to know what suits you and what doesn't suit you. That was my next question was like around the confidence piece. Like, have you always been confident enough to wear bold colors? Because when you wear bold colors, you stand out, you're visible, people look. 
So tell me about that. Has that always been, given your background, has that always been part of who you've been? It's always been a part of who I've been. Not necessarily because I want to be noticed. So for instance, like being the last person arriving at a party is my idea of a nightmare. I'd rather just kind of, you know, arrive whenever. It's not that I want a drama moment. Mm. It's much more that I feel it represents my personality. And I'm quite a joyous person anyway. And, you know, an extrovert and quite bubbly. I also think it affects how other people perceive you. And in fact, I don't just think that. I know that because psychologists have proven that colour makes a difference to how you feel about yourself and it makes a difference to how other people react to you. I think that's so true. My experience with kind of stepping into the fashionista world was going shopping. This was when I lived in the Midwest and I went shopping in Chicago at Neiman Markets, which I was terrified to go into because- it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. But I was like, who am I to shop at such a gorgeous store? Like it was completely outside of my realm of experience. And the woman in the department who was helping me, she was a fabulous stylist and just worked in, yeah. in, in the, the store. And she turned me on to DVF and- she would bring me these things on the hanger that had all this pattern and all this color. And I was like, oh, you're crazy. I love you. You know, I love you. I love you so much. I ended up building a relationship with her over over uh, years. And I was like, I can't, no, no. And she's like, just try it on. Just try it on. And I would put them on and I'd be like, oh, this lights me up. This feels so good. And for those of you who are women who run your own business and you're listening to this, when you feel good in your clothes, in how you look, you will be magnetic to clients, to new business opportunities. People will want to work with you. They'll they'll feel that energy. So I we had uh, one of our team used to be very, very, a real refusenik of color. And she, in fact, she was a consultant, so she was only with us temporarily, but she would wear all black and big kind of black chunky boots and lots of kind of very oversized chunky chains. And she said to me, you know, I'm single and I just don't understand when people think I'm unapproachable. And I was like, really? Really? (laughs) I said, if I didn't know you and I hadn't spoken to you and I just saw you, you look quite intimidating. Let's go there, Renee, because this is this is kind of an edgy conversation because so you look strong and you look powerful. Why does that mean you're unapproachable? And like, do we have to as you know, if you're a single woman and you're looking to find a partner, do you have to reduce your power? Like, what's your what's your slant on that? Because I I think that might be misinterpreted. I totally agree with you. So if you're somebody who just wants to wear all black, good luck to you. Fabulous. If it makes you feel happy and it, you know, it makes you smile and you feel happy and confident in that. But I think just occasionally just sort of step out of your comfort zone. Occasionally just try. You know, I say to people who are scared of color and print, it's baby steps. Don't go crazy. Nobody's expecting you to wear a full multicolored outfit. You can start with a scarf or a bag or a shoe, or you can do it gently, gently. And 
my intention is really not to offend anybody at all, but that's kind of just my ethos, my personal view of it. I think when I wear all black, I do feel very powerful and I have my days where I want to wear my power boots, right? And I'm like in that that energy. Yeah. But I'm also very aware that how it's presenting and how it's projecting. And I used to wear all black because I thought I could be a little bit more invisible. And then I used to wear black because I thought it was elegant and chic and maybe I was feeling that 10 pounds overweight kind of feeling and I just wanted to to kind of hide it all and there's still a a, a, I still have a soft spot and a love for for black I I don't I don't not wear it but it has been a an evolution and I'm aware of what how the world takes in black when you said something really interesting there you said I wanted to be invisible yeah and that is sort of what I battle against because why Mm -hmm. should we be invisible Correct. You know, life is short. You only get one go. It's not a dress rehearsal. Wear really what makes you happy and what makes you smile. I mean, certainly for me, there are certain colors I put on and I just feel, oh my word. Now, I know this is a podcast and some people are listening, so they won't see what I'm showing you, but I'm just going to very quickly paint back and describe. So I'm now holding up for you. Or, or those of you who are listening, go to yeah. our YouTube channel and look at this video. Okay. Basically, this gorgeous, warm mango color with cherries all over it. It's just a shirt. Mm-hmm. Every time I look at this shirt, even in my wardrobe, I think sunshine. And it makes me feel happy. I can't possibly be in a bad mood or be sad wearing this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it lights that's, you up. Yeah, that's kind of how it works for me. Let's switch gears now and talk about your entrepreneurial journey. So you now have this brand that is a luxury women's wear brand in the UK. You also sell in the United States, all over the world. Okay. That's a huge achievement, even though you you just do small runs and it's very, um, you know, it, it's very custom from that perspective, yeah. bespoke from that perspective. That's a huge achievement to have gotten to. You're welcome. Gotten to that level. Can you tell us a little bit about the entrepreneurial journey? Because it clearly isn't all, you know, roses and unicorns and perfect, perfect all day long. So so what have been some of the biggest challenges you've faced that have been pivotal points for you? I think it's really important as as women oh, in business to share these things because yeah. it pulls back the curtain and allows everyone to know, oh, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. The thing that I do is when there's a problem or difficulty, I really see it exactly as you said, as a challenge and it's a thing to overcome. So I think one of the things I've really found is that you've just got to have a tenacity about you and a sense of not giving up whatever happens. Hmm. Because I think whatever happens, you want to always know you've tried your very best. So A really easy example I could give you would be the pandemic. So the pandemic began 2020. Obviously, we didn't know it was coming. Within a week, every single wholesale order we had was cancelled. I mean, it was, you know, but it wasn't just us. It happened to everyone because shops were going to be closed. So suddenly you're just getting all these emails saying, I'm cancelling this, I'm cancelling that. And you're just like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And I can remember thinking for about a day, maybe not even as much as a day, because I get bored very easily, 
to thinking, I just want to lie in bed and cry because I feel like that's it for my business. And then you very quickly have to kind of go, right, pull yourself together. You know, you can't sit here feeling sorry for yourself. And that makes you pivot because then you get together with your team or whoever and say, right, what are we going to do? We need to brainstorm. What are the things that are going to change the situation we're currently in? And let's just try every which way. And, you know, that's how we made it happen. And we survived the pandemic. And actually we did incredibly well during the pandemic. So we were very fortunate. But that's literally because we were kind of all ideas flowing and going, right, we could do this, we could do this, we could do the other. I just want to underscore something there that is really important. Obviously, there's tenacity. You're speaking my language. That's, you know, the brand yeah. is the unstoppable woman, right? Like there, you have to you have to stay the course. Absolutely. But the the articulation of that level of being willing to experiment the, the you know the world changed overnight in in basically yeah. one day for you and you had a moment and then you were like okay what what are the opportunities what could we possibly do and you went into ideation and experimentation and and you weren't you weren't willing to be stopped by the fear of making a mistake it was no. like we're just going to try things so where did you learn where did you learn that level of tenacity and problem solving. Because I think that th those are two things that are key attributes to success. I mean, for me, I think it's twofold. One is that I'm the daughter of diplomats. So I learned quite early on how to be diplomatic, although occasionally I slip it up. Did you say you're the daughter of a diplomat? Is that what you said? Of diplomats. Both my parents were diplomats. Oh, interesting. Okay. So Okay. Yeah, they worked for the United Nations. So that was kind of, you know, really, I suppose, had an impact on the way that I was brought up and how to be with people, how to communicate what you want to communicate without aggression or without forcefulness, because people are more receptive that way. And then I think the other side of it, the tenacity was very much being brought up sort of across Africa and Europe, but my parents being Tanzanian, I had a very traditional, very strict upbringing. So from a very young age, I was, I mean, I was cooking at six years old and I, my dad bought me a stool because I was so tiny so I could see inside the pot. <laughs> so the expectation for children within my culture is that we just grow up much, much faster, you know, and I think mothers have very, and fathers have very high expectations. So when you have that, you know, you are probably pushing yourself harder than anybody else is. 100%. Because you don't want to disappoint. And I was extremely lucky because unlike a lot of my relatives, I got the opportunity to come and study abroad. So that meant, you know, I'm the lucky one. Everybody keeps telling me I'm the lucky one. I can't be saying I'm homesick. I can't be saying it's hard. You know, I can't mm. be saying there are racial kind of undertones to things. I've just got to get on with it. 100%, 100%. So, you know, I was raised in a completely different culture with different parents, all of that, but similar yeah. attitudes that they, they expected us to be adults before our time and it had high expectations of us. And we had, we had to, you know, step it up and be yeah. resilient and start strong and um, all of that. What would you share with someone who wasn't raised that way? Or maybe you have team members 
who are on your team who are hugely valuable to the to the organization to the company but don't necessarily have that trait how have you coached them up in in that level of problem solving can do attitude stick with itness yeah. it's tricky it's not always possible but generally speaking my mantra at work is if there's a problem and something has gone wrong give yourself a couple of hours if you can try and fix the problem or come up with a solution so that by the time you come to me you go there's a problem these are the ideas i've got because then that shows me initiative if you've just kind of thought about it but definitely come and tell me because if you hide it it's going to be a much much bigger problem yeah. and then if you can't fix it then you bring it to me and we all just figure it out together you know one of the things that i've coach my clients on and I I try to practice I'm not always great at this sometimes I just am expedient and I'm solving the problem but what's yeah. most useful is when you share with your team that that's the protocol come to me with yeah. three ways that you'll you you have to solve this or I've already solved it in this way but you need to know yeah. about it and I find that this is not just for problems but what do I do in this situation questions that exactly. you know if if you want independent thinking team you have to not make them dependent on you you have to free them you have up to empower them to make right. choices themselves and actually what i find is the more i say it i always say it when someone joins i'm like there is no stupid question i would rather you asked me 20 times mm. than didn't ask me and made a mistake if you're unsure just ask Yeah, you know, there's totally. always going to be someone in the team who will know the answer, who's been here longer than you have. But what's really interesting is that the team members I have who've been with me, especially one who's been with me right from the beginning, very often what I get is, "Rini, there's a problem, but I fixed it, but I just want you to be aware." Which, Which is fabulous. Is right. It's totally. So great. Because I I also think that as an entrepreneur, one of your jobs is really to to teach your juniors you want them i always think of them as like my little chicks in the nest so if they then go on somewhere else i'm literally thrilled for them if they're happy i want to see them blossom you know if i get somebody incredibly shy at the beginning and i watch them develop and become able to you know voice their opinions able to speak what could be better than that You know what I find with that attitude is that you end up keeping the rock star team members yeah. more than if you were irritated about the training or afraid that you're going to train them and they're going to leave and coming from that scarcity place and and there is this this line that you have to walk you know onboarding yeah. someone and training someone on your team takes a lot of energy you 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 don't want to just be flip about it for sure but if you have the spirit that says i want the best for you i i want to pour into you and i want the best for you you'll you'll do you'll just build su such loyalty what well, the thing is that is just part of your remit if you're a boss you should want the junior people to learn you should want them to come on out you shouldn't yeah. be stunting their growth otherwise what's the point you know that they if the better they are the more they can help you 100% 100% absolutely so was there ever a time where you felt like your your sense of self-worth or self-esteem 
mm-hmm. was limiting your ability to achieve what you desired. This is, I, I talk with my clients a lot about owning their self-worth, owning who yeah. they know themselves to be. And I don't think it's necessarily a linear path or like we're just, all, we've always had it, even though you may have always been confident around colors and bold fashion. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there were things where you had to sort of face internal challenges about like, who am I to be able to do this kind of thing? I don't know that I would necessarily describe it in that way because there were lots of other kind of hardships that have been much tougher in my life. So it wasn't so much a case of thinking, who am I to start a company? Who am I to be an entrepreneur? I kind of thought, why shouldn't I? You know, I, I had think- that. I had that same. Why shouldn't I? Of course, it wasn't a. It wasn't a question. But I've had times where I know I need to put myself on a bigger stage, or I need to do something yeah. bold, where I have not yet done that. I am not yet the person who has actualized that. And it's like, uh, can I really play at that level? Can I really have that conversation? So that's that's more what I'm looking. Yeah. At. Yeah. I think I always kind of think in a way, it's a little bit of that fake it till you make it. Mm. And I also think that for me, when I feel like that, I often think, well, there are probably other people are nervous here too. They may not be that confident, but they're showing me their best face. Mm-hmm. So if I do the same, I'm going to be all right. I think that's a great tip. I love that. It's just like everyone in the room has a little insecurity and they're just moving forward. They're just going for it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And also having the courage again to when you don't know something, just ask. I mean, you know, I have, I mean, finance meetings and marketing meetings, and that's not my strong point because as a creative, I just want to do my creative thing. But obviously I have to do those meetings and they sometimes make me slightly glazer, (laughs) you know, when people are talking in kind of either marketing jargon or accountancy jargon, it's really important rather than just nodding to kind of go, actually, what does that mean? School me up. School me up. Yeah. So on that on that subject, I noticed when I was doing my research that you had a CEO who runs the company. Now, when did you decide to hire a CEO and was it because your eyes just blaze over on on the business side and and what is that working relationship like given that you are the founder and the owner well my relationship with our ceo is kind of interesting because he's also my husband oh that's great i had no idea did i miss is that on there did i miss that no 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 most people don't realize they just because mcdonald is a common name so they think that they just both have have the same name so i love that we um have been married for a very very long time so we both kind of are aware of our strengths and weaknesses. I think at the beginning, basically my husband had his own company and he sold it and he was watching me kind of beginning and doing everything. Because at the beginning, obviously it was just me. And then I got an intern who has grown with me and is still with me. And I think I would just be dead. Well, I know I'd be devastated if ever she left because we have some great stories about progression. And my husband said to me, you are spending so much time on the business side that the creative is like almost your afterthought and it should be the other way around. You should be 80% creative or 70% creative and 30% 
all the other things. And of course, the business side was taking over. So he said, look, I've just sold my company. Why don't I come on as your CEO? And I'll take away a lot of that business side. Obviously, we communicate about it, but it just means if I'm busy with a collection, I don't have to go to the accountancy meeting or if I'm, you know, so that was probably one of the most generous gifts, you know, um, outside of our children that he's ever given me. I love that. I love that. And has that working relationship always been smooth sailing? Because there are a lot of... Oh, no. Yeah. Let's talk about the oh, no <laughs> part because there are a lot of women who do work with their partners, their husbands, their wives, and have they could learn from the conversation and then there are a lot of women who have a vision sometimes erring on the uh, side of fantasy about bringing their husband into their business now not all the time is that fantasy oftentimes it, it works very well but let's pull back the curtain on that like wh what have been the challenges there so i think the first thing that really helped is that we have been married for well over 20 years. So we've been together for a long time. I think the second thing was at the beginning, I had trouble letting go. You know, I kind of was used to being in control of everything. So I was kind of poking my nose into different things. And then he was sort of coming into my area. And I was like, now we do this jokey thing where we go, can you stay in your lane? This yeah. is, you're veering into my lane. And I think that's where you have to be quite clear is saying, you're going to do this, that's your strength, I'm going to do, you know, he's never going to design or do prints or whatever. My strength is never going to be his strength. So, and because of course he was an entrepreneur already and had set up two companies and sold them, I got a lot of experience from him of learning how to go forward. Or sometimes if there was a challenge, he would already know the answer. So I think at the beginning, it's always a little bit tricky because the most difficult thing is to take criticism from somebody you're married to and not take it personally. And you don't want to go. I think that's true. I think that's true. Whether you're married to them or not, that's yeah. a challenge. But, but, but more you, so. You have to go to bed because, with them that night. Yeah, so you have to go home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> eventually. Right. So you don't want to sort of be taking that around. And the mm -hmm. other thing was that because you're both really passionate about it and excited about it, it's really easy to spend your, all your time just talking about the business. So, but I'm probably stricter than he is. And I'll be very much like, I'm home. Once I've shut my front door, I'm in my home job, which is being a wife, being a mother, being, you know, all those things. And I very much see that as it's like having two jobs at the same time. Because yeah. we all, as women, if you're home raising your children and you're a homemaker, that is not an easy job. It Correct. is work. It's, yeah. And it's hard because it's relentless and you don't have a break and you don't have a holiday and, you know, all of those things. So let's that pause there. I think there's two two things very significant there. One, roles and responsibilities. What are the clear lanes that we're each playing in and that we own? And then I also... Yeah share with, with clients, what are the things within those lanes that actually the other person needs to give input on and, exactly. and getting super, super clear about that. And then this idea, I, I am very impressed that you're able to sh walk through that front door. That's such a great, like physical 
representation. It's very, it's super, super clear and, and shift into a different mode and have that be such a clear boundary. A lot of women have a hard time with that, like separating the two. It takes practice. It really does take practice. And I mean, obviously that's not all the time. There are times something's come up and we have to talk about it, but I tend to work quite long days. So if I'm working until seven or eight or nine, even, or whatever, you know, even if I get home, the rare occasions that I get home before seven, I'm kind of tired as well. And I need space in my brain just to kind of calm down. 100%. So it's quite nice to be able to just come home and go, how was your day? You know, we talk all day long, obviously, but, you know, just just do the things you would do if you didn't work together. Yeah. Have now, supper go- together, talk about different things, not just about work. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just you kind of have to go baby steps, but be very gentle with each other and be aware that when your partner says something to you in a work context, it's not personal. That's the hardest thing actually yeah. is to take on that it's not personal. Yeah. So it's a, it's a comment that stays within the realm of the office. And right. Not a, I love that. And that's and a, that's an internal process. process. Yeah. Oh, humor is huge. Oh, humor yeah. is so key. And I really noticed that it's something that we learn quite quickly, both of us, that if we say something with humor, the other person takes it much better. So if he says to me, oh my God, Rini, all these figures are wrong. Typical you, you have no idea. Like in a jokey way, I laugh. Right. But if he would say, I can't believe you did this completely wrong, I would take that personally. Totally. So So, so let's talk about the masculine and the feminine in business. So this is one of the things that I I personally love exploring and yeah. talk a lot about, that we all have this masculine essence. This is our driven, directed, disciplined, focused, can just dial it in, work yeah. till eight, nine at night, that, that part, goal-oriented. And then we have our feminine essence, which is much more receptive, more creative. It's a matrix. It's not linear. It goes in a lot of different directions at once. It flows. And we have these different qualities within us. All all humans do. And I'm curious about how that's working for you as two, two questions on this. As a creative, okay, so who also is part of running the business. Now you do have the CEO who's who's taken on a lot of aspects of it, but you're still running the business and how that works when you're working with your husband. I think that for a lot of women, we have a higher level of emotional intelligence because we are more emotional. And so that changes the way that you react to other people. You know, I think sometimes, I mean, I'm making so many generalizations here. It's not necessarily the case, but I see things very much through an emotional filter. And he doesn't as much, you know, so he will be much more like, well, you know, this person's making this mistake. They should be getting on with their job. You know, he's much more firm about that. I'm much more about, well, they're not doing their job well, but why is that? What is Mm. it that's making them unhappy? What is it that's making them not bring their A game? Yeah. And kindly scratching that surface. Also, I think being a mother and my team are all quite young and I work predominantly, in fact, my husband's the only man and my sons do bits of work for us as well, but you know, they're not in the office present all the time. So as a woman working with other young women, it's 
amazing because there's no kind of, you can really talk about anything. Team can come in and go, I've got really bad period pain today. And because I'm a woman, I'll be like, yep, I hear you. <laughs> so, you know, maybe you cut them some slack that day. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a little bit gentler with them because you know what that experience is like. So I think there's there's definitely an element that women bring in as entrepreneurs that men don't. But just as there are things men bring in that women don't. What about that element of like the go hard, the driven side? You know, how do you discern, if you will, when is the time to stay driven, go hard, work the long hours. There's a reason for that effort. It's It makes sense to do it. And mm. when do you know, actually, this is a time to pull back and rejuvenate and nourish myself and nourish nourish the company even? It's the, wor- it's the thing I'm worst at. Because oh, fair. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for the I honesty think- there. <laughs> I think partly because I really love what I do. So to me, a lot of the time, it's not like work. I can just get lost in it. And if I'm lost in creating or designing, I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm just having a good time. And I, imag- and I imagine that is soul nourishing for you. It's not depleting. Totally. Okay. Totally. Let's talk about the times where it's not, when you're not working on the creative stuff and you're working long yeah. hours. Or, do, or does that not exist? No, 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 that definitely exists. But I think it's just that I love the entirety of it. Yeah. So I don't, it's the one criticism my husband has. I'm not very good at holidays. I'm not very good at relaxing because my mind is always going 100 miles an hour. So if I go on holiday, I literally spend probably the first four days driving everyone up the wall because I'm constantly going, do you want a drink? Do you want something to eat? Because I sort of... This absence of stuff to do. But then at the same time, when you are a business owner, you don't have holidays. You know, if there's a drama and I happen to be lying on the beach, I've got to know about it. Yeah. So you're available 24-7, 365 days a year. To some degree. At some point, I, you know, I'm I'm setting an intention for you that you have the 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 second in command who can handle things for you when and, when you go away. I think this is fascinating, Renee, though, because I would count myself in the same camp. I love what I do. There's, I I have a lot of passion for it. It doesn't feel like work. Even the work in the business, not just the work with yeah. the clients, doesn't feel like work to me until it feels like I'm depleted and fit until yeah. it's, I've gone too, too far. And I, and I have really done a lot of work on understanding those signs and um, creating mm, rituals for myself, whether it's, you know, four o'clock, I'm, I'm out taking a walk in the sunshine because when I do 10 hours of you're not on the computer all day because you're doing, you're creative. But if I'm yeah. 10 hours on a computer, I'm, I'm, a, I'm no good to anyone at, at yeah. some point. So, I'm on the computer a lot, though, as well, isn't that because obviously okay. I have emails to respond to. The, you know, there's always something. And the way that I communicate with my factory, for example, or my fabric supplier, all of that is done via email. So there's a lot of computer time. So anyways, the point I was going to make, though, was that I find it interesting because you said earlier that your husband you know, needed to be trained that when you get home, you don't keep talking about work. And and yet you, when you go on vacation, it's like this nonstop 
energy kind of thing. And I think that's an interesting, you figured out a structure for yourself at, Mm. at home that, that works boundaries, some sort of bounded framework for yourself. And don't get me wrong. I'm still thinking about it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. And I'm still like doing notes or emailing myself, just going, remember to do this tomorrow. Remember, but I, but what I'm okay. not doing is consciously sitting there going, I've got to work all night. Okay. So this is classic entrepreneur. I think 99.9% of the people listening are going to, yeah. going to relate to this. And, and I find it a, a really interesting challenge and I've gone back and forth on it. There've been times where I'm like, I'm all in and I am just going to keep going. And I have gotten to the place personally where that is that no longer provides the the bigger value than taking yeah. full brain break. Um, like it's fine if I forget, it will come back to me tomorrow. Like I used yeah. to like write everything down or voice memos or emails to self, right? All of that stuff. And at some point I just had to say, no, let, let's see if let's line on the sand. Let's see if we can run this business differently so that I have spaciousness so that I have my creativity. And I think it's just, I don't, I I would never preach one way is the right way, or there's only one way or, or in, and quite frankly, there are different days in the week where I'm different. There's some yeah. days where I'm like, I'm clear. There's a boundary. Nope, I'm done. And other days where I've got all this abundant energy and it feels energizing to yeah. do that. And I really, I find that that works very well if I'm if I'm tuned into it within within reason, right? So I grew up with parents who literally, I think my dad's very first holiday was a holiday that my husband and I took him on, and he was in his fifties. He'd never had a holiday in his life. And he literally sat, we took him, you know, we were sitting by a pool in a lovely villa and he went, so this is holiday. <laughs> it's like, this is what it feels like. So that that leads me to believe, uh, you know, we're, we're like soul sisters here because, you know, I was raised by people that just never stopped, right? They were always going. And I just think it's a double-edged sword and we just have to be sensitive to it. On the one hand, it's what helps us be amazing business owners because we've got that work ethic. We've got that drive. And the flip side is we don't have the rest of our lives and we wake up 20 years later, 30 years later, and we're like, what happened to, to everything? else because we've put everything into our baby, which is not necessarily bad. You know, there's, there's, yeah. you know, approach to that thing on the stage you're at, because equally I have friends who did career, career, career in their twenties and thirties, and then suddenly get to their forties and they're like, oh my God, I really want a family. I want, and then that has complications. And I think the thing is for women, it's so hard because I'm not really a believer that you can have it all. I think mm-hmm. something has to give. I kind of was the other way around. I had children younger and sort of put my career on hold a bit more. You know, I worked part-time and did bits and pieces, but I worked very much around them. So they wouldn't even be aware that I was working. And I was lucky enough to obviously have a husband who could support us both. But my kids are now grown up. So this really is my third baby. So there isn't really that feeling of, you know, yes, I still suffer from the mum guilt, obviously, if I can't always be available or always do things. But I, I I, think I feel it 
a little less because I look back and I think I gave you all that time in all those years, which is actually how I started the business. It was my younger son who said that to me. And he said, you're the only one in the family that doesn't, um, in fact, he called me a hypocrite. And I was like, what? And then he went, you're the only one in the family that doesn't practice what you preach. You tell us all to follow our dreams and our passions and you're not doing that. Oh, bless his heart. Yeah, and he said, boy. you're limiting yeah. yourself for our benefit. And he was like, we're grown up now. You've got to ju just do it. Just do what you like. We're fine, you know, and you gave us all this time when we were younger. So we're, we're all good. And that was a really lovely thing to hear. How old you was know? he when he said that? He was late teens. Yeah, good for him. Good so for him. now it's lovely because it's that full circle thing where I can see how proud they see of me. But also, you know, they want to go on and set up their own businesses. 100%. So, but they have the reality check of knowing how hard it is because they see how hard I work and they've seen how hard their dad had to work. Yeah. So it's not, you know, in a way, it's like training for them. Yeah. You know, so I don't, I don't really feel, oh, I've missed out or look back and think I should have done this differently. Or I, sh I, I think my way worked for me. And now I think it's more a case of I think, right, I've got to catch up. So I'm kind of in a hurry. Yeah. Because I don't want to work, you know, this hard when I'm like 80 years old or 70 years old. <laughs> I want to work. Yeah. I think I will work to the day I die. But, you know. I think that's such an interesting data point. There's so many people in this world who are working to get to the weekend, working to their yeah. next holiday, working to to retirement. And I think one of the things that really differentiates entrepreneurs is that they don't think about ever stopping. It's like they know yeah, no. that they want to keep being creative and producing. Now, they yeah. might want to do it in a different way than you do. They might want a different like work rhythm to it, but they, they want to can keep growing their their experience of life. I can't imagine being in a place where I would reach, say, 65, and then I've got to spend the next 20 years sitting in a rocket. Like, I've got to do something. Right. You know, we're living longer and longer, so that space has to be filled either with a business or studying, which is something I'd really love to go back to, or writing a book, or, you know, there's just all so much learning to be done at every stage of your lives. Mm. I'd read your book. <laughs> it'd, be, okay. it'd probably just be you and me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Before I ask my final questions, where can people find you and your beautiful designs? Well, you can find us online at lisu.co.uk. You can find us on Instagram at Lisu London. And also you can find us in selected Nordstrom stores and Saks also online. We're on Zalando. I mean, I could go on, but basically if you Google Lisu, you will find all the information that you need. Fantastic. That's L-I-S-O-U. And we'll put links in the show notes as well. Okay. So speaking of learning and always wanting to learn, how do you continue to learn to really stay on top of your game and keep growing? I think just keep setting yourself targets and challenges. And when you don't know something, I mean, there are certain things. There's a whole kind of production process of onboarding when you're exporting to a wholesaler. That is not something I ever want to learn. Mm -hmm. I can hire somebody who can do that. 
But then there are other things that I come across and I think, oh, I, I don't know about that. Let me learn a little bit about that. Let me read more. And what has really surprised me is that your capacity for learning does not diminish with time, with age. Neuroplasticity. I know. And it's one of those, it's a muscle. If you don't keep using it, it atrophies. So it doesn't matter who you are. I love hanging out with younger people. I love my team for being younger. I get a different perspective from them. I'm constantly learning things, you know, mainly from them. It's like, what does this emoji mean? Because <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I'm constantly looking at like, what is sub- something mean, right? Like the acronym or the little slang. Oh. I'm like, I can't keep up. And travel. (laughs) If you travel, you know, you become, I think, much more empathetic to the human race because everybody has the same worries. Putting food on the table, having a roof over their heads, looking after their children or their family. Mm -hmm. So I think travel is another really, you know, you, you see more similarities in humanity than differences. I love that. I love that. So my final question for you is... What do you love most about yourself? Being tenacious. I love the fact that I'm a good problem fixer. I actually relish a problem to fix, just quite tragic. I'm not somebody who is intimidated about walking into a room where I know no one, because I know I'll find a friend in there somewhere. I'm quite good at doing things alone. So I could go to the cinema on my own. I could go and have lunch on my own or dinner on my own, which Mm -hmm. I was really like, I remember my dad saying to me, that's such an important thing to be able to do because we kind of think, oh no, you know, if I'm out on my own, that makes me look a bit tragic. No, it doesn't. I mean, if a man can go out for dinner on his own, if I'm away on business, why can't I have dinner on my own? Oh, absolutely. You know, and if someone comes up to you, you just make it really clear you're not interested. (laughs) (laughs) You're just in your own space. So I'm say I'm, I'm quite, I'm very independent, which can be difficult probably mostly for my husband, because I'm not very good at asking for help. Mm -hmm. I kind of think I can manage it all. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting one. It's like, you love that. There's always like, there's always two sides, right? There's always the shadow side to the light. And hopefully that I'm, I'm a, a kind, decent person, but obviously I can't say that that's for somebody else to judge, but I would hope that that is what I project is, you know, I will be the one to reflect that to you. You are a kind and like amazing human being. Your smile lights up the room and the the amount of truth that you've shared and the expression of yourself that you've yeah. shared here is just tremendous. And I, and I love it when people, when I get to have the honor of talking to someone who is able to take a stand. No, this is how it is for me. And and not trying to fit into some imaginary mold that doesn't We're all different, exist. right? Yeah. We're all different. So everybody, and that is one of the joys of life. If we were all the same, it would be really boring. Totally boring. And you let's know. not do that. Let's not oh, yeah. do that. <laughs> it's been an absolute joy to speak to you, Amira. I mean, honestly, I've enjoyed every last minute. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. This was great fun. I know the audience is going to love this. Please go check out the show notes, check out her stuff, and uh, catch us in the next episode. And let us know that you 
like this episode by writing a comment or sharing it or giving it a thumbs up or a like on whatever platform you're listening to it on. And until next time, be well and be unstoppable. Bye.